Good evening. As uh, Ben said, we're starting a new Wednesday series on the different kinds of prayer. Um, and today we're starting it, we're kicking it off with the, with the prayer of praise. So let me direct your attention to Psalm 18 and beginning in verse, or, well, we're actually going to start with the inscription, which is part of the inspired text, and we'll read to verse 3. And I just want to preface that when you see LORD in all caps, it's referring to the name Yahweh. So I'm going to be reading it that way, and hopefully you'll be able to understand why later. So follow along as I read Psalm 18. God's word says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of Yahweh, who addressed the words of this song to Yahweh, on the day when Yahweh delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Yahweh, my strength. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon Yahweh, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. This is the word of the Lord. Modern psychology has classified safety to be one of the most important needs in a person's life. Kind of obvious if you ask me. I mean, who doesn't desire safety? But it's important to remember that the safety we seek as Christians is not the same kind of safety the world seeks. The world desires safety because they're gripped by this fear of death and danger. But as Christians, we ought not to fear these things because we believe that the God who is sovereign over all the affairs of the world has a plan and a purpose for our life as well as our death. And so as it's been said, the safety we desire is not so much the absence of danger, but the presence of God. And that is exactly what this psalm teaches us. This text teaches us how we can reorient our hearts when the going gets tough so that when our circumstances seem overwhelming, we can confidently look to God for our safety. And here's the cool thing. You ready for it? This reorientation process, it happens through praise. Because praise is taking our eyes off of our present circumstances, off of our present troubles, and placing them on the Lord. And as soon as you do that, everything changes. Your perspective changes. Your attitude changes. Even your emotions begin to change as your emotions begin to follow where your eyes are. And it's because when you take your eyes off of your circumstances and you place them on the Lord, the hypnotic power of the enemy is shattered. That's what David understood, and that's what we must understand too. So this evening, I want to study Psalm 18 with you, and I think as we do, we will discover that the Bible prescribes three areas where we can draw praise for the Lord. Three areas where we can draw praise. And the first is this, remember God's work. Remember God's work. Now, we should note that this psalm in its entirety is also 2 Samuel 22, um, where David is at the end of his life. And what he's doing is he's remembering all the times that he cried out to the Lord in his distress. First and second Samuel record all the dangers he encountered, but this inscription in Psalm 18 tells us exactly what happened. Yahweh delivered him. Yahweh heard David's cries and answered his prayers. And this psalm is David remembering that. He's praising God for it, and as he does so, his assurance is increasing. 
You know, answered prayer is supposed to serve this purpose. 1 John 3.22 says that answered prayer assures our hearts before him. But did you know, and we should make this footnote here, the only prayers God answers are the ones we actually pray. If prayer is a communication, to the, com- communication line to the Lord, which it is, then it's not very useful if it's tucked away in our closets behind a break in emergency glass. But as we apply this lifeline day in and day out as a style of life and we see the Lord answering our prayers and tangibly active in our lives, then we can look into our experience and see what the Lord does for us and our assurance will rise even higher. That's what David is doing. And so the first thing he declares, verse 1, is, I love you, O Yahweh. This is a unique love. In fact, this is the only time this, he- this word is used this way in the Hebrew Bible. It denotes an emotional or an impulsive love rather than an action or promise. So we could say that David feels affection for the Lord. It's like this. You know that feeling you get when you're really proud of someone? It's not really something you can choose. You just kind of feel it. And you can reignite that feeling by remembering what that person did to make you proud. That's what David is doing here. He's remembering what God did, and it's reigniting his affections because the Lord is his pride and joy. The Lord is his glory. Like we sang earlier, he's the best thought by day or by night. And and David knows that if that's all he has, he still has everything. And do you know that if you're a Christian, Christ is your glory, and you ought to be able to say the same? Maybe we could just pause here and just ask and reflect in our own hearts for a moment. Where is your glory? You could find it in past accomplishments. They may be abundant. You could find it in present potential. Oh, there are just so many things you could do. You might find it in the esteem of others. You might find it in having a great family. You might have it in being a moral person. And yet, if you place your security, value, identity, if your glory is in anything of this world, not only are you committing treason against the God of the universe, but you are robbing yourself of your greatest good and investing very unwisely because the troubles of this world can wipe it all out and you'll be left like a child chasing after a bubble on a summer day. As soon as you grasp for it, gone. But if you rest your glory in Jesus Christ and him crucified, resurrected, glorified, if the, uh, who will reign over the nations, if that's where you find your glory, then you have a glory, an identity, a security, a value that cannot be assaulted by anything of this earth. And you can say whatever afflictions or troubles arise in, in your life, Christ is my glory, the Lord is my portion, and it is well with my soul. That's where Christians have our glory. In the Lord. And that's what David is saying when he says, I love you. He remembers what God did and is so overwhelmed by it, he couldn't help but feel love. And so we see, the, we see next this outpour of analogies to describe God, which is the second area where we can draw praise for God. Remember God's attributes. Look at the end of verse 1 and verse 2. My strength. Yahweh is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You, you get the sense that he's just so overwhelmed by what he's feeling about God's attributes that he just begins listing whatever words come to his mind. 
And I want to point out that the focus here isn't so much on the diversity of the phrases, but rather their similarity. You'll notice that it's all military language. And that makes sense since David was a soldier who had actual enemies. I mean, if you think about it, if, if you're a soldier and you're maybe on some sort of expedition and you're attacked, what do you do? You'd probably blow a horn to summon for help and you'd retreat to the nearest fortress. And this stronghold would be the safest part of that fortress. And if there's not a fortress around, you would hide behind your shield. And if you didn't have a shield, you would hide behind a rock. And notice David describes Yahweh this way. In other words, when I call for help, I'm calling God. He is my help. He is my refuge because he is constant despite all the chaos. And so no matter what situation I'm in, I hide behind him and I trust he will always be there. David's reminding himself of these basic realities and we ought to do likewise. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is my horn. The Lord is my deliverer. But before we move on to my last point, I think we ought to ask a question. And that's this. How can David know this is true? I mean, everything else has failed in his life. How can he know that this is true? And the answer to that is rather important. The first time the word shield is applied to Yahweh is in Genesis 15. It's Yahweh using it of himself. And there we see Yahweh is reaffirming his promises to Abraham by making a covenant symbolizing to Abraham, I will fulfill my promises to you and I will bless you even if I have to be cut off to do it. That's how David, who David is a man who surely knows this text and and may even be referencing it, that's the way David can know. It's because God is a God who will keep his promises even at his own expense. And as a Christian, you know that in the new covenant, you can know that God's promises to you are sure. God's promises that he will work everything for good, everything together for good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, that is sure and you can know it because 2,000 years ago, God entered this world and sealed that covenant by the price of the blood of his own son. So that now you can look to the promises of God and you can bank on them because God already shed the blood of his own son. He will not withhold the lesser promises to you. And this brings me to my last point. Since we know that the Lord will keep his promises, we can draw praise for the Lord by remembering his promises. Remember God's promises. You may not have noticed, but David is doing this all throughout the text, but especially verse 3. In the midst of trouble, I want you to make uh, a crucial observation about verse 3. Where does David say he goes? The answer is simple yet profound. Verse 3, I call upon Yahweh. He goes to the Lord and calls him Yahweh, his covenant name. In other words, the basis upon which David goes to the Lord is nothing he has done, nothing about him at all. The basis upon which David goes to the Lord is who God is and the covenant he made with him. He doesn't go before the Lord and plead with him anything of his own goodness, any of his own past. No, he remembers the promises God made with him. And so he goes before God and pleads who God is. Pleads the covenant. Pleads the promises that God has made with him. And because God is a covenant-keeping God, he knows that he is saved from his enemies. 
Did you know that if you're a Christian in the New Covenant, you have a relationship with God that is just exactly that, a covenant relationship. The, the covenant we enjoy with the living God is a covenant sealed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the work of Christ, God enters into this covenant relationship with us, washes away our sins, brings us into his family, secures our souls for eternity, and he has pledged himself to be our father, to hear our cry, and to save our souls. And it might be good for us to remember why these promises had to come this way. And that is that though God is a God of love, he has promised justice. And if God is to be loving and deliver his people into a kingdom of justice and peace, then he has to eliminate the world of injustice and evil. But if he does that, then he must eliminate us too. That is why we need the cross. At the cross, God satisfies his own demands for justice that evil be punished, and he satisfies his desire to save. And he extends his love to us through the cross. And as you come and you reorient your heart with God's truth, the cross is restored to the center of your view of reality. And at the cross, you see a God who is so loving and so holy that you can trust in him. You can know that the Lord will hide you because he was exposed at the cross. You can know that the Lord will shield you because he was pierced for you. You can know that the Lord will be your horn because, as we saw this past Sunday, he was abandoned. And you can know that the Lord will be your deliverer because he was forsaken. You know, especially in the midst of life's troubles, we need to become experts at seizing these truths and preaching them to our own hearts. Every Christian is responsible to become an, an expert preacher, if to no one else than to your own soul. You need to learn to say, like the psalmist in Psalm 42, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, I shall again praise him and seize on these promises and preach them to your own soul. The Lord is my rock, he's my shield, he's my horn, he's my deliverer, and I know all this is true, because he who delivered up his own son, how will he not also, along with him, Give, freely give us all things. You can find refuge in the God who has promised these things. And if you do that, if you place your hope in the Lord, then you'll end up in the same place David does, confidently praising and worshiping, not because you have escaped life's troubles, but because you are safe in the midst of them. So how can you praise the Lord who, verse 3, is worthy to be praised and thereby reorient your hearts to confidently trust in him? You remember God's work, you remember God's attributes, and you remember what he will do. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, you are our rock and our refuge and our strength. And we thank you that you have given us an example of how to praise you. And we pray that as we leave the service, your spirit would apply these truths that we read from your word to our hearts. And we pray that we would constantly remember your works, reflect on your attributes, and hope in your promises. And we pray that this would cause us to praise you and love you and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.